welcome to a, another episode of The Elucidators. My name is Steve Pally, and I'm here with my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How's it going, Sums? Good. How are you, Steve? Very well. We are here virtually in that, Sumi, you are actually out of town right now. That's right. I am in northern Michigan right now. Lovely. And been kind of texting me uh, many pictures of some of the culinary del- delights available there. And I have to say, I'm intrigued. I don't want to hype up northern Michigan because I don't want more people to come here. It's lovely. Yeah, that certainly sounds like it. Anyway, we're here to talk about international relations and give you a fast, fun update on a topic that the entire world is talking about this week. We are going to be talking about the burning of the Amazon, which is a really big deal. We're going to tell you why. First, let's start with what is actually going down in the Amazon. The Amazon's on fire. Who cares? Forest fires happen, right? Zooms, like, what's the big deal? Yeah, so point number one, forest fires don't generally happen in the Amazon. Point number two, these, these are record number of wildfires burning in the Amazon. To give you a sense of what that means, last year there were 45,000 uh, forest fires in the Amazon, which is way above the norm. Now, this year to date, there's 80,000, 45,000 for all of last year. We're not even September. We're already at 80,000. Those are large numbers, and they're large numbers because we're talking about a pretty large forest, right? Um, yeah, that's how, right. How big is the Amazon? I, I don't think people necessarily understand the okay. magnitude of the thing that we're talking about right now. No, and it's, I mean, it's crazy to think about it, but take the entire size of the United States. That's basically the Amazon spread out over Brazil, French Guiana, Suriname, Guyana, regular Guyana. Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia. Two-thirds of of it is in Brazil. Over the last several decades, 300,000 square miles, more than that now, have been uh, deforested. To give you a sense of what that means, that's like an entire Italy or a Texas. And just since 2015, another 2,000 square miles, roughly a Rhode Island has been deforested. Yeah, that's... These are kind of mind-boggling areas and geographies that you're talking about. We're talking about a big part of a big important part of the continent of South America and a big important part of really the global ecosystem in general. Now, forests do burn, but the Amazon is a rainforest and rainforests are wet. So the Amazon sure enough, yeah. Yeah, doesn't usually burn except that it, unless somebody makes it burn, right? And the big sort of human factor that causes the Amazon to burn is basically slash and burn agriculture. But the basic point is that more and more people are chopping down trees in the Amazon, lighting them on fire to clear ground and kind of improve the soil quality. And on top of that, it's abnormally hot, uh, which probably has something to do with climate change. And all of that adds up to more fires than ever, larger areas on fire, and an extremely concerned uh, sort of global village looking at this and wondering what the hell is going on. Right. Uh, So what is happening right now is, like we said, this is unprecedented in terms of fire, but this is not unprecedented in terms of what's causing the fire. Basically, for several decades into the middle of the 20th century, the Brazil, like Every other country in the Amazon has managed, every other Amazonian country has advanced industrially in part 
by by developing cutting down uh, large pieces of the Amazon and putting in farms or yeah. either and and we should note this is exactly what every developed country did earlier in it in their history Ab- absolutely including this one and every wealthy country in the world yep so yeah it's not unusual <laughs> no it's it's not unusual in fact it is the norm but this is what has happened in Brazil over several decades and several different kinds of political regimes, whether it was a military dictatorship or a a leftist popularly elected leader, there has been development into the Amazon. Now, as environmental movements have pushed back on Amazonian development, there's been less uh, deforestation. So to give you a sense, deforestation right now is not at its peak. Just to give you a sense, in 2005, there were 19,000 square kilometers of, of deforestation in the Amazon. This past year, there was 8,000. So 19,000 15 years ago, 8,000 this past year. Which is an improvement, but still a large number, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. And this is not just a Brazilian issue. Countries like led by uh, Evo Morales in, in Bolivia, who is a, man, a leftist uh, of indigenous descent, under his regime, there too has been Amazonian exploitation. Right. So this has been going on for a long time, and these policies aren't even necessarily, or have not been even necessarily controversial in the past, although they have become more controversial since the 1990s, uh, because there are big sort of climate and um, environmental implications of destroying the Amazon and deforesting it that operate both globally and locally. So you mentioned the slash and burn. So folks come into the Amazon or up on the borders of the Amazon. They start cutting down trees. This is the deforestation. Mm -hmm. Bigger, older trees are valuable for logging. They Mm -hmm. can set up farms. But a lot of the stuff that doesn't go to logging that is slashed to the ground gets burned. That's right. You got to clear the ground and burning it basically mixes the ash in with the ground, making it even better for things like growing soybeans and pasturing beef, both of which are big commodities in Brazil and help poor people pay the bills, basically. Right. So, but Steve, help me make a jump here. So how do we get from helping to economically develop these places, as you said, helping poor people pay their bills, get food in their stomach? How do we get to that, to something you talked about earlier, which is global climate implications? Yeah, well, we get there by basically now 200 years of burning carbon into the atmosphere, mostly by what are now rich developed countries, including the United States. And by doing this, we've expended our carbon budget and contributed a lot to climate warming. I think we're now a full degree Celsius over pre-industrial levels on a, like a global annual basis, which doesn't sound like a lot, but really plays havoc with all sorts of economic systems and <laughs> ecological systems for that matter. So when you burn down the Amazon in particular, people have called the Amazon the world's lungs. And what does that mean? It, well, it's actually kind of wrong scientifically. It, it's not the world's lungs. It's actually the world's sort of air conditioning system. Yeah, the Amazon puts out a lot of oxygen, but it also takes up a lot of oxygen. Okay. Um, so yeah. how is it the AC unit of the world? Right. So it's, it's actually so big, so green, and so wet that it is able to basically stabilize uh, air currents and 
the jet stream and stuff like that, basically, on a global basis. And it's a global heat sink, right? So if the Amazon were to suddenly disappear, it would have really profound and I think unpredictable or chaotic effects on the rest of the, the global climate. The other thing about this is like, it would be very, very difficult for human beings, even if they tried really hard to clear cut the entire Amazon in even a decade or more, right? It's just so big and so massive. But the concern from some scientists, and you know, there's good reason to think that they're right, is that the Amazon system uh, is approaching some kind of turning point whereby it's been deforested enough that deforestation may continue and become a self-fulfilling process because the Amazon's margins will start to dry out of their own accord and the Amazon at large will kind of lose its moistening and cooling effect, which will result in its shrinking all by itself, even if we were to stop uh, slashing and burning tomorrow. So let me, let me make sure I understand this. Since the middle of the 1700s, when countries started to industrialize, a lot of the ways that in industry has taken off is through burning stuff. Yep. Oil, coal, etc. Yeah. And when you burn stuff to make stuff, the burning of stuff then throws carbon into the air. Now, uh, for most of the time since the middle of the 1700s, that has not had a direct dramatic effect on weather patterns. But what has happened in the second half of the 20th century and the first two decades of this, the 21st century, countries all over the world industrials have industrialized at such a pace that now there is a ton of carbon going into the air. So much so that now the average temperature across the entire world has gone up one centigrade. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it causes a lot of problems. Um, for example, tell me a lot of the uh, sort of mass migration into Europe from places like North Africa and the Middle East has been spurred by climate problems or problems that can be traced back to climate. There's reason to think that the Syrian civil war started when the harvest failed in, I think, 2010 or 2011. Yeah, during an unusually bad drought in that country. But it's not just the Middle East, right? It is not just the Middle East. It's also happening in the Americas. Uh, and you may have seen in the news, uh, the United States has become notably less friendly to immigrants from Central America in recent, uh, recent months, actually. And uh, we have a lot of climate refugees from places like Honduras and Guatemala people that were formerly able to farm coffee and things like that and make a living, but it's now too hot to do that on that land. So they have no livelihood and have to leave. So, okay, so we have migration issues. One of the other things, so you're saying temperature goes up, this then messes with the ability to grow crops and for many agricultural, uh, for agricultural based communities, societies, this means you might not be able to do this. Yeah. But what else, do, what else do rising temperatures mean? What are some other environmental? Well, I think probably the biggest one is sea level rise. So as things get hotter, the Greenland melts and uh, the president decides he wants to buy it. Hmm. All the glaciers melt. They go into the ocean. Arctic melts and loses a lot of its ice cover. Uh, the Antarctic 
kind of looks like it might be starting to melt as well. Um, if all of these things happen, sea level rises possibly dozens of meters over the next several hundred years, um, resulting in the flooding or submergement of many of the world's major cities, which are on coasts and, and river deltas and stuff like that. Which would then lead back into what you were just talking about with migration problems and, oh, dis yeah. and disrupting ways of life. That's so, right. Uh, the two big ones in the U.S. are probably New Orleans and uh, Miami, uh, which is built on a series of li limestone caves and could actually be flooded on the regular like within the next decade, from what I've read. So that's going to be a big problem uh, because so many people live on the coasts in every country. And then like a final point is just that all of our sort of agricultural and industrial market systems are fine-tuned in such a way that we expect the weather to behave more or less the way that it's behaved within certain tolerances, right? And one of the things about global warming is that, and climate change, is, is that yes, the temperatures are increasing, but like the variation and the sort of bouncing around effect has also really increased. Um, so it's destabilized the climate. So it's much harder to predict what's going to happen from month to month uh, on a yearly basis, right? A year over year basis. That makes it harder to plan. And in uh, a sort of global agricultural setup that's predicated on economies of scale and efficiency, this is going to set us back a lot, potentially. So let me make sure I understand everything you're saying. Because it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. No, but it's, it's, this is why it's super important. Look, we're two international relations guys. We're politics guys. Why are, we, why are we talking about the weather? Why are we talking about coffee in Guatemala? The, the reality is that when we talk about this stuff, here's the deal. Countries get stronger. Countries get stronger when they have stronger economies, right? So if you're, you are Brazil, if you are Bolivia, one way to become a stronger country is to develop economically. Well, one way to do this, if you're largely a land-based economy, which is to say that the economy comes from the ground, whether that's through agriculture or through livestock or through logging, these types of, these types of economies that have come out of the Amazon, if these are big parts of your economy, this is the way you get stronger. Well, this is also how Western countries like the US, Western Europe, this is how a lot of them were able to get stronger, through exploitation of, environmental, of, of natural resources, including the environment. So here's a political question for you, Steve. Hmm. If, if the Western countries got wealthy by doing stuff like environmental exploitation, now that the wealthy countries are super wealthy, who are they to tell the not as wealthy developing countries that they shouldn't do this? Yeah, well, the answer is that uh, the developing countries don't want to hear it, right? And I think that's a pretty fair point of view because we're basically infringing on their sovereignty. We're saying, hey, this big forest is actually in your borders, right? And we're going to tell you what you can and can't do with it, which is something that never happened to us. You know, none of these sort of international uh, regimes or, or the UN or anything like that even existed uh, when we developed. So we just did whatever the hell we wanted and, you know, partied hard with uh, burning the forests and all the coal we wanted, jumped ahead, colonized you and basically screwed you guys. And now we're screwing you again by saying, no, you can't catch up the same way that we did it. Right. It's not fair. 
And it is a violation of sovereignty. Unfortunately, it's also necessary <laughs> because we really are bumping up against our ceiling for fossil fuel use and for carbonizing the atmosphere and for denuding uh, our ecosystems, right? And if these things continue, everybody's going to suffer on a global basis, including Brazil. Brazil will, ne will never end up developing anyway, right, if these things come to pass. So it's really also a short-term versus long-term thing. But, it, you know, it has a lot to do with who is telling whom what to do and how they're saying it too, right? And so all of this kind of comes back to really a series of, I guess, diplomatic events that occurred over the past week or two, right? Yeah. So uh, there was a meeting of the G7, which is the group of seven. They are, it's an rich international- countries. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's rich countries. That's another podcast. We won't go into how, how they get selected. But nonetheless, President of France, Emmanuel Macron, he brings up the idea of, in a rather forceful way, of giving aid, and the G7 agrees, millions of dollars in aid to Jair Bolsonaro, the, uh, the president of Brazil. He's been in office since January. And this starts off a... Uh, a bizarre diplomatic spat between the leaders of both countries. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, uh, Americans really shouldn't point fingers about bizarre behavior on the, on the part of um, other countries' leaders, but I think we should go, we should digress a little bit into this guy, Bolsonaro, because he's a real character. Yeah. Uh, just some of the greatest hits on his being an odd dude. So he, he uh, is a, he's a former soldier He's been a representative, an elected representative for a long time. For like ago. 30 years or something. Yeah. He's been around. And he fashioned himself as a traditionalist and a tough guy. He, um, during Carnival, their, uh, their Mardi Gras, he uh, tweeted out an anti-gay, uh, what, what, what was it that he said, Steve? I'm going to make you say it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't have it in front of me. I, th I think you better. I think you better say it. Well, it was something to the effect of uh, of gays and golden showers, a lewd sex act. There was this guy is also not running the tightest ship. The presidential plane on the way. Uh, I forget if it was to or from the G20, the group of twenty meeting in Osaka, was stopped in Sevilla, Spain, in the south of Spain, for having thirty nine kilos of cocaine on it. So that's between 90 and 100 pounds um, for, for us folks in, in uh, you know, the imperial system. It's a crazy, a crazy amount of cocaine. Yeah, like hard to carry in a suitcase, right? right. Like, but this is, this is kind of, he's, he's a very tough talker. And so when Macron says, hey, this needs to be taken care of, your forest fires are out of control, the Amazon is important to the entire world, Bolsonaro uh, pushes back. And he's not the first Brazilian leader to push back. In 2009, a far more reasonable person, Lula da Silva, the president, former president, not the easiest guy either, but still more yeah. reasonable than both. He's actually in jail for corruption right now, potentially unfairly, but anyway. But he says uh, the following, I don't want any gringo asking us to let an Amazon resident die of hunger under a tree. We want to preserve, but they will have to pay the prices for this preservation, because we never destroyed our forests like they mowed theirs down a century ago, talking about developed Western countries. Right. 
Yeah, so Bolsonaro looked unfavorably uh, on Macron's gesture and then subsequently went on to insult his wife and brag about how much hotter his wife was. Does this sound like anybody we know? Yeah, classy stuff, super helpful while the world is quite literally burning. Yeah. Um, but now he has backtracked because he's backtracked on the uh, on the millions of dollars in aid from from the G7 and has sent in I think it's 40,000 troops to the Amazon to put out the fires. Yeah, and and there's kind of a notable reason for well, there's a couple reasons why he he did this. One is notable in international relations, which is that a couple countries in the EU threatened to submarine a trade deal with Mercosur, which is basically a uh, a free trade zone in South America that includes Brazil and its immediate neighbors. So effectively, uh, the Euro- some European countries threatened to sanction Brazil over not taking the Amazon fires seriously, which I'm pretty sure is a first in international relations. Steve, you've been talking about sovereignty and you've used this word. Remind, remind our folks that are listening, what is sovereignty? And why? Yeah, so sovereignty is basically a 350-year-old idea um, that is generally pretty well accepted that uh, if I run a country, I get to decide what happens with anything inside its borders. Now, this has been amended somewhat over the years. In the 20th century, I'm, not, you know, I'm no longer allowed to commit genocide within my borders, depending, right? Uh, it still happens, but um, people are more likely to say something about it internationally and potentially intervene as well. And now, apparently, if the Amazon is burning, a, a big forest, uh, once again, within Brazil's borders, the Europeans are saying, uh, we are going to interfere in what's happening. Um, we are going to connect this issue, which we feel very strongly about, to an issue that you feel very strongly about, this trade deal, which you know you desperately need. Right. So the G7 it's takes- of, It's a form of coercion, really. That's right. Yeah. So the G7 takes a coercive action against Bolsonaro- to get him to take money. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they to do something <laughs> to yeah. stop this, right? They bully this guy around and uh, to, to take the money. But this is a point where I think it's important to look at the politics of this thing. Two things. For, let's look at the domestic politics, both broadly speaking in Europe and in Brazil. For, we'll start with Europe. Macron is not going to lose any points at home with the French people because the largest, the most pressing issue in Europe, according to polls, is the issue of climate change. So being tough and trying to be active on this issue is only going to help him domestically, right? The other side of this is with Bolsonaro. The Brazilians would like, yes, they don't want fires, but they also want to continue to become wealthier. They started off this century with uh, on the ascent economically, yeah. and for various reasons, this is a longer conversation that we won't get into the details of, but they've run into, into a, an economic backslide. And so advancing economically is in the Brazilian people's interests. So we have this case where uh, the domestic politics are, are also a factor. But to Steve's overarching point of, hey, this is going to affect this is bigger than sovereignty, right? This is bigger than the authority of the state. This is going to affect us all if the climate change models that are out there, even the most conservative ones, are correct. We need the Amazon, and we need the Amazon to be intact because it helps, it helps to modulate our global climate. 
Hundo P. Yeah. And so this is really a global resource um, that we need to address a global problem, right? And it's not like Brazil will be immune to the effects of the Amazon disappearing, right? No. Hey, hey, Steve, are they currently feeling some effects of climate change? Uh, they are indeed. And, uh, you know, in addition to the Amazon drying out, um, I think a lot of sort of Brazil's other agricultural land is currently in drought. Abnormally so. Yeah, abnormal drought, um, which if you live in California, you understand very well. And this is this is very bad for, you know, a country that depends on, again, agricultural exports uh, for economic growth. You know, Bolsonaro started out reasonably popular. Um, he's pretty new in his office, but he has steadily declined in popularity. And there's good reason to think that his response, his tepid response to the Amazon fires in August, knocked an additional 10 points off his popularity, which brought him to what, like 29%? Yeah, so... Uh, which is not re-election territory, to put it mildly. No, to give you a sense of this guy's downward trajectory, he starts off the year, he comes in office on New Year's Day 2019 at about 50% uh, approval rating, and now he is at 29%. Yeah. So he really is a Brazilian Trump, only, I guess, bigger. He's going bigger, you know, a little bit more dramatic. But he, the guy's got a flair. Yeah, well, absolutely. That, <laughs> that Samba flair, I guess. Anyway, Bolsonaro has, in fact, responded. I believe he has taken the money, right? I believe, you know, I, the last story I said he, that he, he said- He's reversing it, right? <laughs> he's vacillating. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's part of the thing. The guy has to save face. You yeah. Know, Brazil has to look like they are, in fact, on the ascent. And part of this tough guy image is to say that he is strong and he is leading Brazil. And so he can't be made to look like he's being bullied around by the French. Yeah, uh, that's true. But he has deployed the army. He has deployed, I think, 40,000 soldiers to fight the fires, which is definitely not nothing. No, absolutely not. Um, but the points that we're bringing up, why, you know, we've talked about climate and the industrial revolution and, and international politics and domestic politics. The big thing that this stuff raises is what are the lines on sovereignty? You know, the Amazon goes across several countries, like we said at the beginning, but this is a big question for how does, how do sovereign nations, how do individual countries deal with global issues? Yeah, I think I, it boils down to something you said earlier, Sooms, I think very well, which was, you know, in Europe, climate and climate change issues is actually the number one worry of people, especially among the younger generations, right? Yeah. It has acquired extremely serious political potency like green parties are a force in europe in a way that they are they are nowhere else in the world including the united states right and as time goes on we may see public opinion basically align uh, in other countries to look more like europe's in which case um, if climate is in fact your number one concern you're probably a lot less worried about whether or not somebody is infringing on someone else's national sovereignty. Um, that may be something of an outmoded idea in a world where we all have to fight together to avoid total ecological collapse and disaster. All right, but then, so here's the thing. There's each country, every leader of every single country has their own individual agenda 
They've, they're responsive to their people and the public opinion within their countries. Even in authoritarian regimes, this is something that is important. So what happens now? Like, how do we deal with this? Nobody thinks that the Brazilian, that the Amazon uh, being on fire is good. So no. how, how do we move forward? Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think 40,000 soldiers may make a difference, uh, although the area that is burning is so vast and so spread out, I think it remains to be seen how much good that's actually going to do. My understanding is that the Brazilian rainy season starts in October. Um, so we're probably not going to get much in the way of natural relief for the next month or so. Um, so the fires could grow and spread um, before the rains come to actually put them out. For next year and the years beyond, I think, you know, you put your finger on something earlier, which is that this is really connected to economic factors, right? So to whatever extent Brazil can start to do better economically, we'll have less people streaming into the Amazon uh, with an axe and a shirt and nothing else, right? And hoping to uh, make their fortunes that way. They'll have more opportunities uh, in developing cities and industries and startups and things like that, right? So foreign investment could make a difference as well. It's part of that give and take that Evo Morales, or excuse me, that um, Lula was talking about, yeah. right? Uh, in 2009, which is, hey, like, we don't want to chop this forest down, but you guys have to play ball with us, right? Right. And I, think, and I think that gets to a very big, a very important point. These look, uh, okay, everyone in the, everyone that follows international politics says that there's been a retreat to nationalism away from global, globalism in the last few years. But the overall trend is that this is a globalizing world. And frankly, there are going to be more and more globalized, globalized problems. Yeah. So if you have global problems, yes, there can be local actions taken. But their needs, their, this issues like climate change scream out for better cooperation, which means more diplomacy. It means that every country, especially the United States, quite frankly, has to invest more in, in training and using their diplomats. Having a whole fleet, under the Trump administration, diplomacy has taken a, a, a couple steps back. This is the kind of issue that it will cry out for better trained diplomats. Yeah, 100%. And just one last point uh, that's maybe kind of like a shorter to medium term thing that can happen. There's good evidence that China's reciprocal tariffs on the United States for the trade war that our president is currently undertaking against the Chinese have really increased demand for Brazilian soybeans. And I think much earlier we said that the Amazon is like super awesome territory for growing soybeans. And yeah. demand for Brazilian soybeans because of this has basically doubled um, because American farmers are no longer selling soybeans to China and the Chinese have a huge appetite for that stuff. Um, so to whatever extent uh, we could kind of undo that trade war stuff, it might actually help solve this problem as well. Yeah, absolutely. There needs to be a better understanding. Look, yes, we want whatever the U.S. Uh, objections with China vis-a-vis -vis trade are. It's an important thing to also understand that maybe countries need to take into account the global implications yeah. of, their, of their actions. Totally. It's just another manifestation of what you're talking about, right? Which is that we're all linked together, whether we like it or not. And we should probably start acting like it. And I think on that note, we're done for the week, right? 
Yeah, we will see you again next week. Awesome. All right, see you later, Steve. See ya.